Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hey there. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction Unlimited Podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh. Do you find yourself wondering if you are working on the right things or asking yourself what you should be focused on at this stage of recovery? This is one of the biggest challenges in early sobriety, especially the first year, even two. You're in the midst of so many changes within yourself. Your head is clear, your energy is up, and you want to continue to feel better and be better. I was exactly the same way. And you know, too, hindsight is always twenty twenty. There is no precise blueprint to healing. And that is the number one thing I want you to hear. Issues will present themselves as you are ready to deal with them. And that includes trauma. I always knew on some level I had some trauma. You know, I had divorced parents. I had chaos in my life when I was little. I was an alcoholic. I had terrible relationships. And I made very questionable decisions in my 20s. (laughs) So I knew there were some deeper issues, but that's all I knew. And if you're anything like me, you may have this sense of something lurking deep below the surface. What I love about today's guest is her approach to working with trauma. She makes it feel not so scary and totally doable. I wish I would have had someone like this 15 years ago, you know? (laughs) Heck, I wish I would have had someone like this two years ago when I started working on my own trauma. One of the mistakes I made was I minimized my trauma because I didn't have any big trauma. What I mean by that is I was never in combat. I wasn't sexually assaulted or the victim of violent crime. And often those are the things we think about when we think trauma. Because I didn't have any of those things, I thought my stuff wasn't a big deal. At the same time, I always felt like there was something internally holding me back. Like there was just something holding me back from really thriving in my life. What I've learned is trauma is all kinds of things. Things that happen to us every single day, divorce, hurricanes and fires, all other natural disasters, death, accidents, car accidents, sports injuries, head injuries. And not only Are these regular, everyday occurrences possibly internalized as trauma? But trauma is accumulative. It piles up inside of us day after day, year after year. So if you're like me, I don't have the big stuff, but I have a million of the little traumas all piled up inside of me, bogging me down. I've questioned at different stages of my life if I may have depression, and I've examined that a lot. I definitely have days that I'm down, 
And the solution for that for me is to treat it holistically with exercise and eating foods that support my brain and body to function at their best. But that internal feeling I had was a little different. I never could identify totally with depression, even though, like I said, I have plenty of down days and I can have some extended periods of time where I feel a little bit down, but it's not a sadness. It's more like an energy, like energetically I'm down. But throughout my life, I always felt like something was holding me back. And several years ago, I got to learn more about trauma, what it is, how it works. And once I had the facts, I had a way greater understanding of what was going on inside of me and that I wanted to explore fixing it. This is why I say there is no blueprint for healing. I didn't approach trauma until I was 13 years sober because that's when I felt ready and strong enough. And I wish I would have found someone like our guest today to make it feel good and exciting instead of scary. Meet Amy Guerrero. Hey, everybody. I am so excited about this episode I'm bringing you today. We have Amy Guerrero on the show. We are going to dig into trauma, all things trauma. This is such an important conversation. I'm so looking forward to getting to know Amy more and how she does trauma and her thoughts because she has a really cool approach in this trauma-informed recovery. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you, Angela. It's already just so great to be in a room with you. I love it. <laughs> we were already having some fun before we hit record. Exactly. <laughs> Why don't you take a quick minute and just tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a conscious sober woman. I started my journey in 2014. Um, and I started it actually well before 2014. I started to um, understand that what was really keeping me stuck and not feeling good was my trauma. And a lot of it was emotional trauma. And I had been introduced to it in the early 90s in Austin, Texas, through the body through somatic experiencing. But it took me a long time to really be willing to dig into um, what was really keeping me stuck. And while I was on this, um, when I was 37, I got this hit of like, mm, yes, I'm going to heal all my trauma before I turn 40, because I'm going to do relationships like I've never done them before. And I'm going to be such a badass woman. And what ended up happening was I became chemically dependent on alcohol during the process. And I woke up like with shaking and the whole thing and super shameful about it, um, ended up like locking myself in my apartment and not wanting to come out and then really learned what, you know, true like isolation and drugs and alcohol look like. So my story started with trauma and then I became physically dependent on alcohol. And, and then I was like, this is a real thing. Like, Oh shit. How do I get support to continue on my trauma journey and live a, what I call a conscious sober lifestyle? And so who I am, who I be today is uh, a trauma-informed recovery life coach. So I support people in their relationships. I support people in their businesses. And I support people to go from that surviving to thriving. And wherever you are right now, like I really choose to meet you there. And so, you know, it's, I think that that was the biggest thing that was missing from my recovery at the beginning and why it took me so long 
to stay stopped drinking is because everyone was meeting me from their lens rather than really trying to see life through my lens and calling me an alcoholic who was never going to get it. And I'm like, wait a second, I've been doing my trauma work for years. Like, please don't talk down to me. And in 2014, when no one was listening to me, I actually started writing the elements of my regrooving methodology, which is what I use to take people through a process and into just this new way of being in their body through consciousness. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> that's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Explain really quickly, because you brought up somatic experiencing, explain mm-hmm. to everybody what that is. Mm, yeah, great question. So if I'm just going to really, I'm going to put things in the most easy, just way to understand everything. Somatic experiences is like seeing everything through your body is taking a more bottom up approach rather than a top down approach. So um, psych, most psychologists are trained in this top down approach that came from Freud, right? So like, we've got to think our thoughts and our, if our thoughts will change our life and da da da. And I actually believe that the, the feelings in the body are what activate us or trigger us first. And then they start a thought loop. And, you know, especially in early recovery, geez, you know, it was just like shame was my favorite thing to just, mm, just like, oh, shame is so delicious. I just know shame so well. And so I just ruminated and ruminated, but you couldn't, I couldn't solve that problem from thinking a new thought. I needed to feel differently. And so somatics is basically the body. It's, it's all of the things that happen in the body. And, um, you know, for those of us who chose, ah, exactly like bringing your little dog, y'all just the, the dog just joined us for the podcast. And that is a great example of soothing your body with another nervous system. So beautiful. Like that's the best example of it. It's like, oh, and then something just changes in you where you just feel that soft touch and that love and your dog feels it too. And then you're communicating one nervous system to another. So if any of you have pets out there and you know that feeling when that dog or that cat or that whatever it is that's furry and yummy or your bird friend or your reptile friend, when they come closer to you and you feel your body relax, that is a somatic experience. That is actually your nervous system going into a relaxed, connected place. Yeah, my dog literally spends... 99% of his life on my lap. And he is so calming for me. You know, of course I have terrible anxiety, like every addicted person on the planet. And, and even like when I'm driving, you know, I mean, he's just always in my lap. And I always think like, oh my gosh, like what is my anxiety going to do when I don't have my dog anymore? You know, cause he's old now. We're definitely in our last chapter together, but I have this fear of like, how will I calm like will I am I really gonna lose it when I when I don't have my little my other half you know <laughs> after this episode I will teach you ways to not lose it <laughs> thank you thank you yeah. I'm gonna need it <laughs> I was just talking to one of my um uh, dearest dearest people um a friend and a client I guess technically she's a client but I love my people um and she did my 6 week program with me last year and she is doing fantastic and we were talking about trauma and like many of us she has significant 
childhood trauma. And I'm always giving her these different things to think about, check into this, think about this. And I brought up somatic experiencing to her, but I didn't know how to explain it the right way. Um, because in Los Angeles, which is my other home in LA, it's really big, you know, everybody's doing SCP. So I just wanted somebody that actually knew how to put it into words <laughs> to put it into words. Absolutely. But my next question on that is if you are not, I guess if you're going to go do some somatic experience stuff, you would be in tune with it and understand it. So maybe this question is a moot point, but could you, if you were skeptical or didn't really understand the feeling in the body, could you still try it and benefit from it? Or do you have to really get it and be fully sold on the concept? Mm, that's such a great question. The answer is no, you do not have to fully understand it or be sold on the concept. The, the body is so wise. The body wants to complete, you know, things that we're not even conscious of. So, you know, the beautiful thing about somatics is like when I'm practicing it with someone, one of my clients, you know, most of my work is to sit back and allow their body to show me the way. And then just as like you said earlier, to get really curious and to ask questions and their body will show them things. And it is so, there's nothing more beautiful than someone telling me first, like, I don't have any trauma. And then we'll do a little bit of somatic experiencing together. And then a, a catharsis will happen. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't know what just happened, but I feel so much better. And I'm like, we don't have to know what just happened. Mm -hmm. The body's wise, just like your dog shakes after maybe he bark. Is he right? He, he yeah. Uh, maybe after he barks a lot or something, or he gets scared or spooked, and then he'll just and he'll just shake in the corner. Like they're so wise, they don't have the big prefrontal cortex and trying to figure out everything. They just do what feels good. I mean, I tried living my life that way. That didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I tried living like that. It just did not serve me well. <laughs> but it's so important. Breath, sound, and movement. Breath, sound, and movement. You know, I mean, you'll usually see me moving somehow because I'm like, oh, I don't want that energy to get stuck in my body. And so much, especially through childhood trauma, when we did not have a voice, when we couldn't articulate ourselves, we would eat, we would freeze or we would fight or flight. And that energy didn't actually get to complete. And, you know, from my sexual trauma, I was held down a number of times against my will. And so my experiencing of it is like, what did I want to do? I wanted to yell, I wanted to scream, I wanted to, to articulate get the fuck off me, right? But in that moment, my nervous system was frozen. And that energy gets trapped into my body. And I'm sure mm -hmm. other listeners are going to definitely hear that and go, Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. And somatic experiences is like, how can I help you? How can I support you? And how can we listen to your body to feel safe to actually complete that experience? Yeah, because trauma stores in your body. I don't mm -hmm. think a lot of people know that like it is stored, it's stored in your body in different places in your body. Yeah. And it, you know, our bodies are constantly talking to us and it's probably one of the main reasons that I know I numbed 
myself, right? Because I was, it, I have felt my way through the world since I was just a little girl and everyone around me didn't feel as much. So I have a lot of open centers. I, I do a lot of different work, but I know that I have a lot of open centers. So I can walk into the room, which for business, it's a badass skill to have, right? So I could walk into a room, I could read every nervous system. I could be like, yes, yes, yes. That person's going to buy that one's not. Da, da, da. And I was a badass at doing it in my real estate career. However, afterwards, I needed a drink. I needed a stiff ass martini to calm my nervous system so that I could come back into this like more neutral place. Mm -hmm. And I, all I was doing was numbing the sensation in my body to help the thoughts stop. And that's all somatic. That's all right. my body talking to me. And so sometimes we've numbed ourselves for so long as people who've chosen to escape themselves with alcohol and drugs and sex and behaviors of sugar, any highly palatable, you know, porn, gambling, all that stuff. It's just like, Oh, I didn't even realize I had a body. And, you know, that's what I, when I first started going to treatment and I went to treatment lots of times before I stayed stop, um, I would just look around the room and I just realized like everyone was just their head and they just did not have the consciousness of like dropping in. And I had already been teaching yoga for like 12 years. And so it was just, I was having a different experience in treatment than other people. Cause I felt life. And then I also overthought everything. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so glad you said that because I know I did, I went to do EMDR um, and worked through some of my trauma stuff a couple of years ago. And I felt so stumped. Like she would say, like, where do you feel that in your body? And I was like, what the hell is she talking about? You know, like I didn't, I mean, cause I never thought about it. Right. Like I had never put any focus on where I would feel it in my body. So it took me some time to really be able to get in touch with that because I was so disassociated exactly what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the first things that I do with my clients is just start to orient themselves that they're not just their thoughts. And, and here's the thing, you know, what we know about trauma is that we often don't feel safe to be in our bodies because the trauma was so intense and you might not even have the memory of it in your mind, but you'll have the memory of it in your body because the body keeps the score as Bustle says, right? The, the body doesn't forget anything. And, and as you know, it's so beautiful because as my clients and I begin to feel safer, then it unlocks the hippocampus to actually start having remembrances or sometimes people will call them flashbacks. And I'm like, that's a really good sign that we're going in the right direction because your body feels safe that you're not going to hurt yourself or your brain feels safe and like something's being released. And now you're like, oh, I can actually put that together. Now I know what happened during that blackout. I know how I lost a tooth or whatever the weird <laughs> things that I did. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure how I broke my tooth. And then I like, Oh, now I remember how I broke my tooth. Drunk right? bumps but, as I call them drunk. Bumps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the biggest misconceptions you see with trauma? Mm, that it has to be a big trauma. That's probably the biggest misconception I see. Yeah, and, me too. And emotional trauma is there's such a much bigger complex co like impact on the body, mind, and the connection to others. Uh, emotional trauma causes much more nervous system dysregulation, meaning like you're just uncomfortable all the time or on guard because people have told you you're a piece of shit, you're not good enough. 
um, they've kind of beat you with their words into some kind of submission. And so the body's stuck. And, you know, when people are in, in sobriety, we're often finding our voice for the first time. Mm hmm and learning how to advocate and learning how to have agency. And if there's been complex emotional trauma, which is just your parents telling you a piece of shit or your caregivers, or then you choosing partners that reaffirmed that and choosing teachers and mentors that reaffirmed that and taking jobs where you didn't get paid what you were worth and all of the things like that shit is, it's very tangled up. Yeah. yeah. And so when people are like, well, I don't have any trauma. And if we just sit for like a minute or two in silence, then usually the body starts to tell me something. And I'm like, oh, well, what's happening in your, I can see that you're getting really hot. They're like, oh my God, I just remembered something, you know, and it comes so quickly yeah. when the nervous system feels safe. Right. Yeah. So that's the biggest misconception. And what are some of the most common like side effects? Well, first I want to say in the emotional trauma, it doesn't always have to be super harsh words, like you're a piece of shit, right? Like emotional trauma comes through condescension, you know, having somebody that just kind of cuts you down, even if it's not with harsh words. And that was something I think I didn't really understand until much later in my life how that is traumatic or the effect it had on my self-esteem, you know, where it's almost this, you know, narcissism is such a buzzword right now, but like this narcissistic abuse is such a real thing when you have a personality like that in your life. And it's almost this weird brainwashing, you mm. know, that convinces you that you're not as smart as they are. You're not as good as they are. And it, it's so subtle how it happens. But when you get to disconnect from it and start to understand it, you're like, holy crap. Like, I didn't realize all that was happening. You know, I didn't realize all those effects. So what are some of the side effects that we would see as people with trauma, whether it's big trauma or smaller traumas? Yeah, that's such a great question. And sometimes it's just, you know, the subtle energy that people are telling you, like, I don't believe you can actually do that, you know, and the body picks up on that. And so when, when someone starts to believe that that is true, like these little side effects start to happen where everything has to be in order. I think they call that, I, I really don't diagnose. I, I don't believe in diagnosis or pathologizing because of the trauma approach, but they'll call that obsessive compulsive disorder, right? Or you, you have trouble focusing, right? They, I think they call that attention. I know what they call it, but attention deficit <laughs> disorder, right? But they, they want to disorder everything. Mm -hmm. And really all of these are responses to trauma. Mm -hmm. They're all responsive. Perfectionism response to trauma. You know, I mean, not being able to stay consistent. I mean, I wish you would. Trauma. I wish you would stop talking about me. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got the OCD, the ADD, the perfectionism. I've got all of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's all these very subtle things that we're, you're trying. The nervous system is trying to control something mm -hmm. because it hasn't felt safe to be in a flow state. For long periods of time, you know, and then some people call that self-sabotage, 
right? And I'm like, oh no, your nervous system just doesn't feel safe to be consistent. And so if we're consistent for two or three days, then you put the banana peel in front of you so we slip. And that's okay. That's just your nervous system protecting you. That's a part of you that kind of comes in and intervenes and says like, "Mm -mm, Angela, you think you could do that for four days straight? No way. (laughs) And it's because you don't have the lived experience of it yet. And so, you know, so many of the behaviors that we have that we diagnose or that we pathologize and take medicine over even are actually responses to trauma and nervous system dysregulation. And when we can get in touch with and start to understand the nervous system, which is actually, I can do it like in an hour with someone. I'm like, all right, let's just understand your nervous system through like the polyvagal ladder. And suddenly there's so much freedom because Mm -hmm. it takes the guilt and the shame out of everything. Mm -hmm. And says like, Ooh, wow. All of these are side effects of trauma. And then in also in a sense, then we can start to get on the train of like, Oh, I'm so traumatized. I'm so traumatized. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes the whole thing too. So, you know, my approach is very much through this empowerment that, um, that when you start to understand and get curious about your nervous system, then you can be like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And I can move forward still. I feel like some of that happens with diagnoses also, right? Like, oh, I'm ADD or I'm ADHD. Like it, it becomes an identity, you know, I'm bipolar and I have anxiety. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean you're not fixable. You know, like that's not a life sentence. You know, it's something that we manage and we figure out and we deal with, but it's not the whole of who you are. And it's not like to blame for everything in your life or whatever. Like it's, it's just a piece, you know, it's just a piece of who we are. Absolutely. And, you know, I just feel so blessed that I've, I was training in this stuff before I started my journey into sobriety because that helped me kick back when people were trying to diagnose me. I was like, "Mm mm-mm. I'm not going to take that on. No, thank you. Absolutely not. You know, and often what I saw in treatment is that people were just waiting for the next diagnosis, like, please diagnose me with something. So then I have something to explain it, which makes Mm -hmm. so much sense. And I, I really feel for that. But when we can get curious and just understand that every nervous system has its own unique history, experiences and behaviors, and it's responding in the moment based on its unique history, experience and behaviors. So it's like, oh, well, that makes sense for you and what you've experienced. And the person right next to you has had a whole different experience. So how can I talk to everyone in this room, but still connect to your nervous system and create safety? And I think that that's just the number one thing. Like if we just boiled it all down and said like, what is this conversation about trauma is how can I support you to feel safe? And sometimes safe is not sexy. (laughs) Like, have you ever liked the person who is totally like never going to settle down? Right. And you're like, I want that person. And they're just not going to be the time person that settles down, but it is so sexy. And so you go and you chase it and you chase it and you have sex with it. And then you come back and then you're just like, oh, I want that though. And it's not safe, but it's sexy. And so such a big part of the work is like, how do we make safe sexy? Mm -hmm. Because the biggest thing I hear from people in new recovery is I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. And I'm like, you're not bored. Actually, your nervous system is just so used to like chaos Chaos. and disorganization that you're like, 
settling down and you know the it, it we don't feel safe to be still you know sure. especially just depending on the drug of choice you know i liked more stimulating things because i have a high my home away from home is more of a sympathetic response to the world um and then people that like downers like heroin and and um and oxy and things like that they have a more dorsal experience a more collapsed experience with the world they kind of want to disappear into the couch or i want to like go solve the world's problems right and that's okay but can we just get to know and befriend that part of us because it's not going to change like that's how our nervous mm -hmm. system gets wired but what we can do is be befriend it and learn how to come back to a more flow place and just feel safe and comfortable in our bodies yeah. and be okay with like less chaos yes oh my gosh i love less chaos <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and at first it's weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember early on, my sponsor said to me, um, do you just want a circus to follow you around? And when you sit down, they pop out and entertain you. And I was like, well, yeah, that sounds pretty good. actually." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just this kind of angsty energy. Like I needed to be going and doing, and I needed constant stimulation just in a different way. I think I still have some of that. You know, I always, I have a very active brain, right? It takes a lot to give my brain enough to keep it happy on a daily basis. But what would you say to someone who has, I don't know if it would be big trauma or if they just have big feelings around their trauma, mm -hmm. but a lot of people are really fearful to start doing this work because I mean, a million reasons, like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to feel. Nobody like wants to go sign up to, you know, open our wounds, right? Like this is not, this doesn't sound like a great time, but it is super important work that has to be done or, or that should be done, whatever. What would you say to somebody who is stuck in that space of, I know I need trauma work but I'm so overwhelmed by the thought of it and I'm so scared to do it. I can't get myself to start. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, okay. So one of the things that I really want to make clear is that trauma doesn't have to be opening up your deep wounds, like trauma work with a great practitioner. It will support you to, to kind of dip your toe in and then come out and dip your toe in and then come out you know, and how the practitioner is trained. So the first thing that I would do is, you know, listen to this podcast again and like listen to some of the things that resonated with you and start writing a list of questions that you want to ask the practitioner that you work with. So something that people do so often is they just go into the first person that they meet that's covered by their insurance and they just say, hey, let's work together, right? And they don't ask any questions and they don't ever really feel safe. So they bullshit their way through therapy for years. So the first step is, you know, find someone that when you are in a room with them, you're like, fuck it. I'm just <laughs> You're like, fuck yeah. yes. <laughs> you're like, fuck yes. Like, I feel good with this person. And it's almost instantaneous when I know if I'm going to make an offer to someone to work with me or not. And I don't say yes to everyone, but I can feel like, oh, yeah, our nervous sisters are driving. They're feeling safe already. Yes. So the first thing that I would say is like, 
if you're not ready, it's okay. But if you have that pull, that longing of like, oh yeah, I'm going to jump in, then have a list of questions that you can ask. Like what, what are their approaches? You know, tell them that you have a deep fear of going deep in your wounds because a talk therapist is probably going to want to talk about it. And that's not necessary to heal. It's just not. And we can, we can drop in and we can come out and do that safely. Um, and, you know, <laughs> this is also something that I want to just put out there. Like sometimes we can social media ourselves or YouTube ourselves, <laughs> right? Into thinking that like, oh my gosh, I know everything that there is about this. And maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It, you know, it's kind of like going on WebMD and trying to diagnose yourself <laughs> right. for like a, like, like a little blister that you have. Um, my, my recommendation is to like, the most important thing is to feel safe. And to not think that maybe you know everything because curiosity is the key to living my, in my opinion, to thriving in a conscious sober lifestyle, you know, like getting curious about everything. I continue to this day to treat everything as if it's my first time to do it because in a sense it is, you know, every day I'm, I'm more conscious than I've ever been. And I'm just like, Oh shit, what's going to happen when I press that button? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just like, how can we meet it with curiosity? But the nervous system uh, and the body cannot feel safe to be curious or compassionate without experiencing some ventral or flow energy. And um, if a practitioner really wants to meet you where you're at, you'll be able to feel that. So it doesn't have to be this big, hairy, scary thing where you're like, oh my God, I'm going to open my deepest wounds and, da, 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 and it's going to take forever. No, like just as fast as the trauma happens is as actually fast as the healing can happen when you feel safe. I'm so glad that you just said all of that. There were so many great things in there. And also in saying, don't just pick the first person, right? Because you wouldn't know that as a consumer who just wants to do their work. Like you don't know that information. You don't know that you should go to several people and that it's important to have some sort of connection with the person you're going to work with. Like you don't know that. I thought everybody had this EMDR training and everybody would do it the same way. And that's that. And I wish I would have spoken to somebody like you earlier because I ended up working with a clinician who was fabulous, wonderful, wonderful human and wonderful practitioner. I'm sure I think I was a little advanced case and, and she kind of got baffled, right? Which then to me, I was like, well, what the heck do I do? <laughs> like, If you don't know, how the heck am I supposed to know? Um, I, I just, you don't know that stuff, right? You don't know what yeah. you're looking for or what questions to ask. So that's such a huge, huge piece of information. I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I'll often make a list of questions for people based on their mm -hmm. unique history to ask because it's so important. And, you know, I think that's what really turned me on to this work as well is uh, when I was a client in the several different treatment centers that I, you know, took a little ride in, I would watch other people and they just had no skills. I had already been an entrepreneur and a business owner for many years. And so I had mad advocation skills for myself and really had a lot of agency. Um, and I just noticed like, wow, they just don't know how to ask for what they need in a clear, concise, compassionate way. And so... Um, 
not trying to coach anyone when I was in treatment because I was there for myself, but I would put these notes to myself for, you know, how I was going to teach the Regruven methodologies. And it was mm-hmm. so helpful because, you know, I saw it firsthand and it's, it's so important, you know, like if you're, if you're just like, it, maybe so often I work with people who are, um, you know, just like influencers in life, high powered attorneys or, you know, I was in um, LA for a long time, right? It's like, you know, in San Francisco. So they had these great jobs and they didn't want anyone to know. And they had all this shame and they had all this agency. But when it came to this, they for, they yeah. forgot that they could advocate for themselves in their mental wellness as well. And, you know, like if you don't want to just get sober, you want to like actually like oh live like you've never lived before. You want to work with people and invest in people that are going to support you to get to that level. Mm-hmm. And so what do they say in the 12-step rooms? Like find someone who has what you want. Like it's the same with your practitioners, you know, ask them these questions. And something that was really important to me when I was working with people is that they didn't understand um, recovery, like real recovery. They understood the 12-step model, but they didn't understand what like lifetime recovery looked like. And so I was just like, that's a bunch of bullshit, you know, and I would just call it and fire them. (laughs) You know, I was like, no, you're not my practitioner. Goodbye. Right. And so I went through lots and lots and lots of people to find a support network that could hold me. Yeah. You know, there's a whole personality that comes with being a person with addiction. And I think it's challenging. We are really smart people. And I think it's challenging for professionals. Like if you don't have that same little monster that lives in your brain, (laughs) it's hard to understand the personality pieces that come with that. Right. I mean, we do think a little differently and, and much faster than most, you know, so it is. And we are manipulative because we had to be, and we definitely can be dishonest, certainly in active addiction and in early recovery. There's a lot of lying going on in there. Like you have to learn how to not do that stuff. So I think sometimes working with people that, that don't understand it from the inside out can almost be a way to dodge some responsibility because I think it's easier to manipulate that situation sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And to be conscious of that and to just know like, Oh, I actually am ready to work with someone who's going to hold that for me and gently call me out. Right. Because Mm -hmm. a great practitioner is going to see it and then be very gentle to be like, girl, I see you over there (laughs) and not make it wrong or bad or shameful or anything because at the end of the day, and I do a lot of parts work and it's just a protector, you know, it's like, we didn't intend to be manipulative, but at some point in our early childhood, we had to learn to protect ourselves. And so we had to get clever and that's what they, we called it clever when we were five, but when we're 35 and 45, we call it fucking manipulative, right? And it's like, oh, well, that little clever girl. <laughs> so what would you say for you in your own recovery? What has been your most challenging situation and how did you get through it and stay sober? Gosh, 
Um, in twenty in late twenty seventeen, my partner at the time um, went home for Christmas and didn't come back. Um, and uh, about two days after he left, I um, I got the flu, like the worst flu I have ever 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 had, and I was just sick and heartbroken. And I just remember laying on the hardwood floors in my little treehouse in Topanga. And going, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? Like, this is so hard. And, um, and that's also when I decided to take my business online. Like, um, but I didn't eat for days because I didn't really have any friends yet. And finally, my neighbor came over. It was just the shits. You know, everything yeah. was wrong. And, and I didn't feel safe. I remember I, I didn't feel safe to tell anyone what was going on because I was so afraid that everyone would think I would drink over it. And mm. I was like, I'm not going to drink. I am just not going to. And it was right around the time that I went to like my last live 12 step meeting too. Cause I also decided like, I'm saying no to all these things that just are not really helping me to get to the next level. And I was mm -hmm. scared, you know, like I didn't know what I was doing. I was taking a huge ass risk in so many ways. Um, but that's when I uh, invested in a high level coach and, and got to the next level. But I didn't, I didn't really come out of that and until April of that next year. And so there was just this time period where I was just kind of like, a, like a baby deer again, you know, in as someone who had already been choosing consciousness, but it was this whole new level, because I was like, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to escape myself, I'm going to walk through this in a whole different way. And it was, it was something. Yeah. <laughs> It was something when I was still coughing in April, I was like, oh, my heart was just so broken, you know, just like, oh, God, this is what heartache really feels like. But I also felt like I healed from so many relationships. It wasn't right. just what happened there. It was like everything because I hadn't ever properly grieved a breakup. Sure. You know, I mean, I drank over them. I did drugs over them. I'd never really just laid on the floor and cried for days and shook and did all of the things. And I did that time. And it was hard. And it was also like a through for me. And my business took off yeah. and I took off and so many different things. And I get to talk to this this man again in my life now. Like we've we've come to a place where we know each other again and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Heart pain is the hardest pain. <laughs> it is, it's so hard. But everything you said is, is so brilliant because it does like you have to go through those situations to really understand your true strength and to see what you're really capable of. Like we have to be tested. We're going to have hard times, you know, but that's the time to really just buckle down and remember, like, I can do this. I can get through this. It wouldn't be happening if I wasn't capable of dealing with it. Mm, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it, I remember remembering all the times when I wasn't, when I just wasn't ready to actually, you know, feel the things that I felt. And so, you know, a bottle of champagne and then three weeks later, I was in the hospital right. again. So, you know, I had the lived experiences of, not going through it. And so to actually just yeah. lay there and allow myself to just really be sad. Be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last question. Favorite question. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? Mm. 
Oh, my favorite thing about being a sober person is that I feel like I get to do everything for the first time again. You know, I just bought my first home um, just a few weeks, literally moved in like last week, still boxes everywhere. And it's just like, I feel like a little kid, all of like, if I, if I choose to, of course, I'm a badass adult and all the things, but I just feel like I've gotten this like new, everything, the way the things feel in my life. It's just so fun. And it's, I don't know, I stopped, I didn't stop drinking until I was, I didn't stay stopped drinking. It it stopped being fun at around 38 and I had a lot of fun. And so I feel like I'm still like, I don't know, it's just this whole new way of having fun. And it's just so great. (laughs) It is, it's a different awareness. And I think you get appreciative of things in a different way because when I was drinking, I would have never even thought to appreciate so many of the things that I recognize now and have gratitude for. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that I get to experience this or I get to live here. I get to see this every day. I get to be with my dog every day. I get to have a thriving business and all these things that are so amazing, but I was so checked out. I just didn't have the awareness to even notice in in sobriety, you get to notice all that stuff and you get to go, holy shit, look at me. Like I'm doing it. I'm adulting like a child. Yeah. It's like having another childhood. You know, it's, I, I feel like I was so pent up as a little child as well, just because my trauma started at birth. So I was just like, always so, and now I'm just like, you know, I'm just having a good time. And that's just such a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. So tell everybody before we close how they can find you. Yeah. Um, Thrive and Recovery with Amy is everything. That's my website. That's my Instagram. That's my Facebook. Um, I have some really cool things that are coming out this summer and thrive in recovery with Amy, especially Instagram, Facebook, that's going to, you're going to find lots of videos. You'll really be able to get to know me that way. Amy, thank you so much for doing this with me again. What a pleasure to get to know you. And I love your approach. It just sounds so cool and it feels good instead of feeling terrifying, which is, I think, such a common response when you talk about trauma, like it's freaky, you know, but I know for me, for sure, like, I don't want to be scared of it. I want to be able to embrace it and continue to move through it and understand it better and continue to heal because that's what will get us all to our next level. Absolutely. Yeah. What a delight. Thank you. So important. Thank you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.